Hello? Anybody home? Today, I want you to open your mind. I've almost come to the conclusion that the story is so damning that the mass of people can't deal with it. We are in process of developing a whole series of techniques to get people actually to love their servitude. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose and insidious in method. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. To change the minds and the attitudes and the beliefs of the people of the world, especially the United States, to bring about one world socialist totalitarian government. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. Brutes have risen to power, but they lie. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. If you can get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, then you have a much more easily controllable society than you would if you were relying wholly on clubs and firing squads and concentration camps. Tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. As you connect the dots between different people, organizations, places, religions, history, suddenly the picture starts to form. If you don't connect the dots, it's just a mass of what's all this about. The kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Someone born in the United States is not more special than someone born in Mexico. Someone who is white is not more special than someone who is black. They're just vehicles for the consciousness to experience. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. They do not want your children to be educated. They do not want you to think too much. It was learned that the aliens had been and were then manipulating masses of people through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. They reach into our children in music, television, books. Prey on children's innocence. How can I disprove lies that are stamped with an official seal? So if you have the opportunity to stand next to one of these machines, it feels like an altar to an alien god. Genetic power is the most awesome force the planet's ever seen, but you wield it like a kid that's found his dad's gun. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc is now in the possession of the Army. Too many others know what's happening out there, and no one, no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man. That state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for Mankind in the Twilight Zone. It's about time some of you got acquainted with the real hard truth. It's the heart that says, I will not acquiesce. Across the gulf of space, intellects vast and cool and unsympathetic regarded our planet with envious eyes. Each of us, when separated, is always looking for our other half. And the desire and the pursuit of the whole is called love. Heart perception will change everything. Freedom is the privilege to be right. Freedom from the disasters of our mistakes.
broadcasting from the Sonoran Desert. I'm your host, Ryan Gable, and this is The Secret Teachings Radio. If you'd like to contact the show, you can email us directly at rdgable at yahoo.com. You can find us on social media by searching facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings and on Twitter at TST underscore underscore radio. Now, we don't use those social media pages a lot, so if you'd like to contact us directly, the email is the best method to do that. Otherwise, our website is www.thesecretteachings.info. You can find our show archive there, my books, and more. If you'd like to access the archive without the monetized advertisements, though, you can subscribe to the show weekly, monthly, or yearly. The yearly deal is probably the best. You get access to the whole archive, all the montages, digital versions of my books, and you'll also get early access to the show and a private RSS feed. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info and subscribe today. When you subscribe, when you buy a book, it is the only thing that keeps us on air Monday through Friday, 10 p.m. to midnight Pacific, right after Ground Zero and Clyde Lewis. I want to thank you all for tuning in this evening, this morning, this afternoon, whenever and wherever you are listening around the world. I hope that you had a really good weekend. It is August 8th, Monday, 2022, and we have a very strange subject to discuss tonight, something I saw Friday evening and did a little bit of research on it over the weekend. Scientists have announced that they've conducted an experiment. This was reported by the New York Times and a few other news sources that has a very unnatural feel to it. Something that feels almost otherworldly or something that feels like dark magic, something very black, very unnatural, unholy, sort of... um, Almost it has this aversion to the natural order. Now, scientists have done things like this before. I'll tell you what it is in a moment. Scientists have done things like this before. This isn't necessarily a new experiment. But these types of experiments are becoming more and more common. And the public is being made aware of them more and more often. We're getting a glimpse of what black money and what the lack of a moral basis in the scientific realms will allow for an individual to do or to investigate or to research. Now, I don't want to sound because I don't have this belief that there should be some very biased, perhaps even religious, uh, but very biased uh, and arbitrary kind of ambiguous, you know, moral line that shouldn't be crossed when we're talking about scientific experimentation. Because science is obviously just observation of nature, right? It's just an observation. It's a cataloging. It's a categorizing. It's a labeling. A lot of times it's just simply observation. And it doesn't have to be something that is dealing with test tubes and scalpels and computer models and things like that. So science is a lot of different things. But science is also a word that is used by psychologists and propagandists Science is also a word that is used to justify experimentation into realms that maybe 500 years ago, even 200 years ago probably, we would consider these types of experiments to be 
black magic or something that is associated with the demonic or the devil. But I can also say, I can also acknowledge that there are certain scientific advances, whether that's in medicine or in observations of nature or in observations of human psychology that for hundreds of years have also been seen that we consider to be a normal part of our understanding of the world today. But that had maybe a few hundred years ago had been seen as demonic or, you know, the result of witchcraft, etc. So we have to really put things into context, especially when we're talking about words like science and experimentation and how we draw that line between what is acceptable in society and what is unacceptable in society. And I think the best example of that before we get into what scientists and what the New York Times has reported over the weekend, I think there's a really good example to be found in both Western and Eastern scientific investigation where in the East, it's very common for the Chinese to, and, and this is, you know, hear me out before you, before you think that uh, I'm going in one direction or another. In the East, China sort of brags about how they've used experimental drugs and experimental shots on soldiers because they're trying to create super soldiers for their military. They've used mRNA technology on their soldiers to try to make them stronger or to try to make them more, uh, more able to withstand the psychological uh, abuses of conflict and God knows what else. And that's something that the Chinese are open about, something that Western governments have acknowledged that the Chinese are doing. They're tampering with genetics and the brain, et cetera, to create a better soldier. But obviously, the same thing is going on in the West, and the hypocrisy of that moral line is drawn more in the West, unfortunately, because we don't like to think that our governments or military, our scientists would do something like that, yet we have a long history of soldiers in particular that have been experimented on with drugs, with vaccines, and with God knows what else. But in the East, it's a very, like in China, it's a very open thing. It's not like they're hiding it. In the United States, we, we try to hide it, and that's probably because our society tends to have an aversion to that type of human experimentation, which is why when we're talking about mRNA vaccines or shots in general, they've had to change the definition of a vaccine because it's not a vaccine and they have to change the definition of the word so it fits into that category so people will more willingly accept it because otherwise tampering with genetics is not something that you know we in the West tend to, to agree with. And that's because there's a, there's a spiritual component to that and there's a, maybe a religious theological component to that, if you will. But these are the kinds of things that trying to think objectively about what we're going to look at tonight. These are the types of things that we have to consider because, you know, otherwise we, we talk about moral lines and we talk about what is right or what is wrong. And especially if you're an American, you can be charged with the, you can be, there's a charge levied against you that you could be, you know, you're a hypocrite because, well, your government does this or that or, okay, well, I'm not my government and I don't agree with human experimentation, especially without people being made aware that they're being experimented on. And uh, I mean, for example, the Tuskegee experiments, probably one of the most famous or the homeless people that were 
experimented on by the CIA in San Francisco, Project Midnight Climax, uh, uh, with the, the sexual component to it, uh, or the chemicals sprayed over St. Louis ghettos, or the uh, radiation experiments on soldiers, and you know everything that, that, that we've talked about on this show for years, things that aren't really scientific experiments, but the types of things that are put in your food and your water, and they might not be put there maliciously. It's, you know, at the time, the best science or it's the best way to save money. A lot of reasons for it. But then they cause they cause certain ailments or health conditions or things that then can be studied and shown that, well, that chemical, that that ingredient caused this reaction, this problem. Like, for example, we, we don't really like to, 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 to talk about it, but uh, diabetes is not caused directly, if, if at all, by sugar. It can be influenced by sugar consumption, but diabetes is, is likely caused directly by fat consumption. Uh, same kind of a thing when we're talking about like uh, ADHD. Uh, I don't believe ADHD is a thing. You can try to quantify human behavior and the behavior of children as if it's a disease or it's a mental problem. But when we're talking about hyperactivity, uh, sugar might, yeah, might give you a quick rush, but really what's responsible for hyperactivity, quote unquote, is food colorings in our food. So we have these things that aren't even necessarily experiments and they show us things that we, well, we didn't know. We have to learn and then we have to adapt and we have to stop using those products or whatever. In other cases, scientists just go directly into the most controversial types of research. And it's always, of course, for the best. It's always for the betterment of mankind. An article in the New York Times and I, and I intentionally draw out, by the way, the, 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 the preface to our subject tonight. I do that intentionally because I like to have all the details and I like to look at everything from as many perspectives as possible as I'm, a letting this, um, I'm allowing this conscious thought to just flow through me because this is unscripted. All I have here are uh, a few articles about what we're going to be discussing this evening. So the New York Times has reported... The Western Journal has reported and a number of others have reported that a group of Yale scientists have injected the bodies of dead pigs with some form of what they're calling a sludge or a scientific sludge, some kind of chemical concoction that brought the organs of dead animals, these pigs, back to life or at least partially back to life. Now, this isn't like having a dead animal and running an electric current through it. This isn't like having a, a dead or, you know, pretty much a dead animal or an animal that's dead, but the body is still dying, but there's, there's nerve function and, you know, the eyes blink or the fingers move. There's a difference between that and what these scientists have done. The pigs, in this case, had been dead for an hour. There was no blood circulation there were no brain waves. They were completely dead by, by any definition, by any standard. Now, when the scientists took this chemical concoction, this, quote, scientific sludge, and they coupled it with a, uh, a machine to restart the, the, the hearts of the pigs to make them pump again, everything changed very quickly. The New York Times reported, although the pigs were not considered conscious in any way, their seemingly dead cells revived. Their hearts began to beat as the solution, which the scientists called organ X, circulated in veins 
and arteries. In other words, the pigs were dead for an hour, no blood circulation, no brain waves, completely dead, not conscious in any way, according to the New York Times, according to the Yale scientists. They inject the pigs with what they call organ X, so O-R-G-A-N, no space, capital E, lowercase x, organ X. And that goes into the veins, into the arteries, and then they jumpstart the heart, and they create what amount to almost like zombie pigs because it brings the pigs, for all intents and purposes, back to life. It basically restarts the, uh, the, the organs and the cells in their organs, including the heart, liver, kidney, and brain, according to the New York Times, cells in their organs, including the heart, liver, kidneys, and brain, were functioning again, and the animals never got stiff like a typical dead pig. So basically, they reanimated the body. They didn't consciously bring the pig back to life. They created, for all intents and purposes, a, a zombie pig. So the, the scientists, they... They have this concoction, and then they restarted the pig's heart, and all of these things start to happen. They used a machine to pump regular blood through the bodies of the other pigs. They had a control group, and this control group of pigs had been dead for the same period of time, so they wanted to see if this organ X chemical scientific sludge would do anything when they compared it to the pigs that didn't have the sludge but who had this blood pumping through their bodies. And... Um, it says the results did not revive their organs in the least. So they have pigs that are dead on one table, if you will, pigs that are dead on the other table. The first group of pigs get injected with organ X, this chemical sludge, the scientific sludge, and they have their hearts restarted. The blood starts pumping. The cells become active in their heart, liver, kidneys, and brain. They start functioning again. There's no conscious awareness that the scientists could could uh, observe but the pigs essentially came back to life their bodies came back to life and they didn't get stiff the other table of pigs did not have the organ x injected the scientific sludge instead they had the blood pumped through the bodies none of the organs came back to life so whatever this organ x is it supposedly is able to revive you know your your vital organs including your heart your brain your liver and your kidneys. And that's, that's, I mean, that's an interesting experiment. It's, it's groundbreaking, perhaps. It's fascinating. Obviously, it has some people concerned. For those of you who might not have heard about this, I'd assume some people are scared by this, this idea, this concept. It's not going to create a plague of zombies anytime soon. It's more so the moral line in whether or not these types of things should be done. Should we leave well enough alone? Should we let the dead die and rest in peace? Now, like when we have a, we have a funeral, right? We have funerals for, for our, our loved ones. Um, it's a very unpopular thing to say, but usually when we have a funeral, there, there, it, there's two components to, to what a funeral represents. A funeral represents one, an opportunity to honor the body, although there's no consciousness there. Honor the body, the environment, and the family, and to provide um, comfort and to provide companionship for the family in their time of grief. So we have funerals for this reason, the same way we have weddings for the opposite reason. And 
the the funerals that we have that is like the most commonly accepted um the most commonly accepted reasoning why we have funerals it's it's to honor the dead it's to respect the dead show our respects that's what we say we go to show our respects to the family and of course maybe to the spirit of the loved one who might you know still be in the vicinity we, we don't know but we also mourn for a different reason. We also go to funerals for a different reason. I know it's an unacceptable, unpopular idea, but we also go to funerals because, in essence, because like 99% of what we do is subconscious, we're really mourning for our own mortality when we go to, to funerals. We're mourning uh, for our own mortality. Uh, and another thing is, it's interesting when you look at the history of cannibalism, there are a lot of tribes. We actually did a show on cannibalism a few weeks ago or like last it was last last week or something last Tuesday, maybe let me look in the archive here. Uh, no, this was two weeks ago. We did a show on Wednesday, two weeks ago, transubstantiation with some fava beans. If you're interested in looking that up was on the 27th. It's in the archive. Uh, but we talked about on that show how a lot of tribes have this belief. Those that eat humans that to not eat the human or certain parts of the human, not all parts, just certain parts, to not eat certain parts of the human is actually, like maybe the heart, for example, or the legs, is actually an insult because it, it puts the body into a cold, unforgiving earth and the body then rots away in the earth and they believe that by having not their own family but another family, another tribe, consume parts of that body they're giving the spiritual vessel a sacred, warm place to reside in the body of somebody else, and then they respectfully bury and or burn the remains of what's left after they've, they've consumed part of that body. Now, it's not a practice that I'm participating in, but at least it's one that makes more sense than just barbarians that are just eating each other. Plus, you know, of course, you get the the essence of the person, the sympathetic magic of the person, which is why a lot of, a lot of uh, you know people throughout history have eaten their their enemies, fallen enemies on a battlefield to obtain their their energy and power. So I bring up the funeral, and I bring up cannibalism because these are controversial things, and I don't necessarily have a stance, but I do see that we go to a funeral, yes, to pay respects, but we also go we mourn our own mortality. And cannibalism can be what we would call barbaric, but it can also make more sense when we break it down in terms of the reasons in which some tribes or some people would choose to, to have others consume part of their relatives to provide them a, a warm place to rest in the afterlife, uh, physical, the physical body, that is. So when we're talking about these things, we're looking at these things, I think we have to recognize that, well, scientists also might have similar justifications to to perform experiments like this. Let's bring a pig back from the dead. Well, consciously, the pig is not alive, but the organs are working. The blood is circulating. The cells are reactivated in the heart, liver, kidneys, and brain. And they that's because of this sludge that they put into them, this organ X. And they're alive, and their bodies don't stiffen or go cold, but there really isn't any consciousness there. Maybe they need like a... They need like a Mary Shelley situation where maybe they sh they strike it with a bolt of lightning. You know, maybe they could take the pigs out in front of the White House and see if another bolt of lightning will hit the pigs. That might bring them to life. Uh, 
the thing is, when we're considering this type of science, obviously people are going to have biases toward it for religious reasons. And, um, you know, I feel, this is my personal opinion, I feel that these types of experiments are usually done for the right reasons, but they are carried out after the fact and they are almost in some cases i think this type of research is almost like glorified like this is what science can do science can do so many wonderful things well science can also split the atom science can also create a lot of different drugs that can kill you science can do a lot of really bad things too science isn't good or bad it's just a it's a process by which we work with or we manipulate nature and that's where the idea because mythology was the original form of scientific observation this is where we get the idea of black magic and white magic so then by that definition standard or traditional going back hundreds or thousands of years into human history if we work with nature that would be considered white pure, etc. But when we, when we work against nature, particularly when we try to reanimate the dead, basically necromancy, we do this with pigs, then we are doing something that is contrary to nature. Now, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I'm saying by definition, trying to bring the dead back to life would be considered a form of black magic. It is a process that is unnatural uh, or really an unnatural selection which is what i chose to name tonight's show when we come back from break we're going to talk in detail about these pigs being brought back to life essentially brought back to life or brought back to physical movement and you know cellular movement we're also going to talk about how a couple of years ago, pig brains were actually revived hours after death. That's National Geographic. And there are, of course, zombie ants and zombie cicadas that also fit right into this, the structure of this story, presenting us with some interesting questions and some fascinating, perhaps terrifying things to talk about. Unnatural selection tonight on The Secret Teachings. I'm Ryan Gable. The music is White Bat Audio. Please go to our website. Please subscribe to the show archive. Please grab a copy of one of my books. I really appreciate it. It keeps us on air Monday through Friday, 10 p.m. to midnight Pacific. There's a lot more after this. Don't go anywhere. The Secret Teachings radio show is on Facebook and Twitter. Just search facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings to like us and tst underscore underscore radio to tweet with us this is david ike from davidike.com author of the phantom self and the perception deception and you are listening to the secret teachings with ryan gable from ground zero to the secret teachings keep your dial tuned to ground zero radio you could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence. David has no evidence. I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. 
We'll explore a little bit of everything, but don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm a last of a dying breed, a generalist. That's The Secret Teachings, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in paranormal talk entertainment, including the network you're listening to right now, the Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. If you enjoy The Secret Teachings and want to hold years of Ryan's research in your hands, visit the website and grab a physical and digital copy of Ryan's books. Occult Arcana will introduce you to sacred myths, folklore, magic, and alchemy. The technological elixir will take you from transhumanism and AI to black goo and UFOs. Food philosophy will change your mind about what we call food, germ theory, and geoengineering. And remember, shipping is always included. Some restrictions exist for international. Visit thesecretteachings.info. People ask me all the time what they can do to take control of their lives when facing a daily onslaught of dis- and misinformation. I say take control of your body and mind with water filtration. Visit www.thesecretteachings.info and click on our affiliate sponsor link with Pro One Water Filters at the top of the page to search for a water filter for the home, camping trip, and even the shower. They filter countless contaminants and make a wonderful gift for friends, family, and yourself. That's Pro One Water Filters at thesecretteachings.info. This is one of the best discussions I've been on in a long time. You guys are right on it. Howdy, this is Joe Mars, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. If anyone can hear this broadcast, I'm still on Earth. This is the frequency of Ground Zero Radio, Ground Zero with Clyde Lewis, and The Secret Teachings with myself, Brian Gable. So a free-thinking individual might ask why we need to perform scientific experiments, moral or not, right or wrong or not, doesn't really matter, that bring animals that are essentially dead back to life, considering that the technology or that the research of such a thing is always promoted in being in the best interests of of the general public and the commoner and humans. Why would we be promoting and studying such a thing when we're told that the world is overpopulated and as a result of the world being overpopulated, we need to reduce the world's population? Why would we be trying to save people's lives? Why would we be taking drugs and vaccines and getting surgeries and making sure that people can have children and bringing the dead back to life? I thought, because I was told, that we had a problem with overpopulation. And that's the thing that is maybe more disturbing than bringing pigs back from the dead, as scientists have now done. The New York Times reporting on this on Friday Scientists at Yale University have accomplished bringing pigs back from the dead. They're not fully conscious, of course, but nevertheless, they are functioning. Their bodies are functioning, liver, kidneys, brain, 
heart and other organs, the cells are functioning as if they were alive. And uh, this is the kind of thought that courses through through my brain. I, I think, why are we promoting and advocating for bringing the dead back to life when we're told we have such an overpopulation problem? Why are we being encouraged to wear masks, social distance, get a vaccine to save people's lives when the same people telling us these things are usually advocating quite publicly for reductions in the population. I mean, when a eugenicist tells you to do something to protect you, it's probably not to protect you. When you take something that is natural and you invert it or you distort it, it becomes an abomination of nature. Now, I don't personally care what your political views are. And I don't care what your sexual views are. But if we're talking about what is natural and what is unnatural, homosexuality is an unnatural thing because it doesn't proliferate the species. You want to be gay? If you are gay, I don't care. I don't hate you. But it doesn't proliferate the species, so it is an, an, an unnatural act. When you take something that's supposed to be dead and bring back to life, I don't necessarily hate the scientists, but it is an abomination. It is contrary to nature. It is unnatural selection. In reality, we have an underpopulation problem. We don't have an overpopulation problem. We don't have enough people on this planet. And some are actively engaged in propaganda. Some are actively engaged in eugenics. Some are actively engaged in calling the population in the name of saving people. I think that's something we need to very much consider when we're talking about what these scientists have done at Yale. In fact, Elon Musk just said something recently that uh, mirrors this exactly. we we, we got to get rid of this nonsense that we have an overpopulation issue. We have an underpopulation issue. What? Yes, we have an underpopulation issue. Elon Musk is right. I don't necessarily know how I feel about Elon Musk, but he's right about that. We do not have an overpopulation issue. We have an underpopulation issue. And the fact that we have an underpopulation issue, not an overpopulation issue, is strange considering that we're told we have an overpopulation issue, yet scientists are trying to develop technologies to bring animals and humans back to life after they've died. You know, perhaps... When we're looking at oligarchy, when we're looking at democide, when we're looking at things that separate the ultra-powerful from the mass majority of the population, and I'm not talking about Marxism or communism or socialism or the 99% movement. I'm talking about the kings and the queens. I'm talking about the unelected officials. I'm talking about the giant think tanks, the ones that seem to be able to dictate governmental policy regardless of what the people in that country desire, what they want, what they vote for, etc. And it seems as if those are the people that are benefiting or going to benefit most from this type of technology. I don't think bringing a pig back to life has anything to do with bringing animals back to life or bringing your grandma back to life after she died. 
I think it has everything to do with getting you comfortable with the idea that necromancy, black magic, if you will, it is something that we could debate. Is it, is it okay? Is it not okay? Is it right? Is it wrong? Is it natural? Is it unnatural? But it is taking the power out of the hands of nature and, for lack of a better term, God, and putting it into the hands of scientists, saying that, that basically what they're saying is, well, God decided that it was the time for this animal or this human to die. We disagree. We can bring it back to life. I mean, if God, a perfect being who created you, is not perfect, then by extension, you cannot be perfect, and you certainly cannot create a more perfect world. You can only distort it further because you are just, by your own argument, an extension of an imperfect creator. And that's what scientists, a lot of them, are doing, knowingly or unknowingly. And this is the, the line of questioning, the line of thought, and the line of investigation that is going into creating a situation in which those with the, the power, those with the wealth will be able to essentially, and we can already do this with machines. We don't even need this, this new scientific sludge that Yale University is using for these pigs. We'll be able to extend life indefinitely. And I mean, as, as absolutely stupid and asinine as those new Star Wars movies were, essentially we can bring Palpatine back from the dead. We can do it with dark magic, black magic, and cloning, among other things. Now, when we're talking about the spiritual side of bringing the dead back to life, that's a much more complicated subject, but might not necessarily need to bring consciousness back into the person. For example, we could look at it one of two ways. Those that are in the ruling elite, and I don't mean the 1%, I mean those that run the biggest banks, those that dictate policies to governments, those that you don't really know who these people are by name. Some of them we do, but we don't really know who most of these people are by name. We know their families, perhaps, but the real people that are pulling a lot of the strings, not every string, but some strings. And perhaps these people themselves are clones, and perhaps generationally we continue to we prolong life to its furthest extent. That's why you get the royal family or the unroyal family, the Saxe-Coburg-Gotha family, living on average to over 100 years or around 100 years, which is you know, unbelievable. You get the Bushes you know, living into late 80s, 90s. You get these families that are under so much stress, so much you know, worry and anxiety and threat, and yet they're living way past where the average person dies by like 20, 30 years. The average man dies at like, in the developed world, like 72 or something. Maybe it might even be, it might even be in the like 69 or something like that. But it's like the average man and woman are dying between 65 and 75. The average ruling blue blood is dying in their late 80s, 90s, or even over 100 years old. And that could just be coincidence, but it also could be that these people are being artificially kept alive, pumped full of drugs, etc. But this goes beyond that because this means that we could be cloning these individuals. There might, they might not be living more than we are, but once they've been cloned and pumped full of drugs and they can essentially be controlled by handlers, then it would seem as if you know they've lived longer than they actually have. So it could be that. That could be one of the, one of the things, one of the reasons um, the other thing is 
perhaps some of these these people, these quote elitists. I mean, like the Queen of England is a great example. I mean, she's uh, moving around and she's walking around, but you know, there could be based on this technology the the preservation indefinitely by bringing somebody back to life of uh, someone who um, was a very powerful powerful figure, and they almost become like a living maybe not even conscious, but like a living shrine. Um, you know, one of the original uh, founders of an order or I don't know, something like this, a, a powerful person who is is artificially kept alive, perhaps through several generations and the body's deteriorating, but they they can find new ways to keep keep the body alive. That's what this technology could be used for. I'm just I'm just spitting out ideas here, but I'm saying I think that these are these are possibilities. These are potentialities, especially for narcissistic, egotistic psychopathic and almost otherworldly people that just don't think in the ways that the rest of us think, you know, we think like, how are we going to pay our power bill? These people think, how can I control the world? How can I remove large portions of the population? How can we justify this? How can we convince the people to kill themselves? So I don't put anything past those with this level of power and psychopathy. Before we go any further, though, we should probably research a little bit more as per what the scientists at Yale have actually done. So let's do that. Yale scientists injected the bodies of dead pigs who had been dead for an hour. No blood circulation, no brain waves, just dead pigs. They pumped into them a scientific sludge, what they called Organ X. So Organ, O-R-G-A-N, and then X-E-X. So it's just E-X, Organ X, Organ E-X. They pumped that into the veins, into the arteries, and it began to circulate in the body. They restarted the heart with a machine. And according to the New York Times, cells in their organs, including the heart, liver, kidneys, and brain, were functioning again. And the animals never got stiff like a typical dead pig. Now, the control pigs, because they had control pigs. I don't know why I think that's funny. They had control pigs. They had control pigs that were not pumped for full of this organ X stuff and they instead just simply had blood artificially circulated in the body it did not unsurprisingly it did not bring the pigs back to life in any way and uh, they remained dead the other pigs were essentially brought back to life now the Soviets communists they actually experimented with something kind of similar to this Uh, I think it was like a it's almost like a, you could call it like a zombie experiment. Um, famously, uh, the Soviet Union, they worked with dead dogs and tried to bring those dead dogs back to life. Now, they didn't really bring them back to life. And this was, well, this was almost like, uh, was it like back in the 40s? This was 60, 70, 80 years ago. Um there, some people dispute that this is real, but basically what it is, is and there have been mainstream news reports on this too, um, first released in the 1940s, the videos show, there's video of this, Soviet scientists attracting uh, or attaching a, a, a dead dog's dismembered head to a machine and bringing it back to life. And now, I mean, the footage was from the Soviet film agency. So it's not something just that appeared on YouTube. And again, it came back and it came out back in the forties. 
It shows Soviet scientists attaching the head of a dog to a machine. The machine then starts to circulate the blood around the brain and restore basic motor functions to the head. In the footage, you see the same scientists use the technique to revive a dog that had been clinically dead for at least 10 minutes. So it would make sense if this type of technology has been experimented on, experimented with, and advanced since the 1940s. Uh, in the sense that the Soviet scientists, when they did this, it took well about 10 minutes uh, of, of time. And then they brought this dog or this dog head and the dog head back to life in some kind of a way. The Yale scientists recently brought the pig body back to life, meaning that it the organs started functioning, the cells in the organs started functioning. Uh, there was no consciousness that they, could, that they could tell, though. But they did that after the pig had been dead an hour. And I find that interesting because Soviets did this after the dog had been dead for 10 minutes. It doesn't prove as much because there's still functions in the body. I mean, we know hair and nails grow long after death, but there's still nerve functions. There's still an electrical current flowing through the body. So you can hook it up to a machine and stimulate those things. That's not bringing it back to life, per se, unless we consider movement. I mean, movement is a prerequisite for life to some, to some extent by some definition. So I guess it's alive, it's moving, it's animate. They're reanimating the dog's head in this video. They're, they're reanimating the corpse of the dog. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the thing came back to life. Likewise with these pigs, it doesn't mean that they came back to life, but these pigs certainly came Closer to coming back to life, the Yale scientists got closer to pig necromancy probably than the Soviet scientists got, you know, close to dog necromancy. So 10 minutes for the dogs back in the 40s, an hour, at least an hour for the pigs from Yale. Just I'm not sure when they started this study, but. They just reported on this, the New York Times did on Friday. You watch this, this video here of the dog head. You can find a copy of this online. In fact, if you want to see it, I'll send you a copy of the video. You see the animation of the dog head with blood and other things flowing through it. Here is the plan of the experiment. The arterial pump takes arterial blood from the reservoir to the head, while the venous pump drains off the venous blood. The blood is arterialized in the reservoir, where there is a steady flow of oxygen. So at this point in the video, they're poking the dog's eyes and the lids are closing and blinking. They're moving something in front of the dog's snout, and the dog is kind of you know, biting forward or moving toward it. That's what's happening in the video. The artificial blood circulation ensures the metabolism necessary for the life of the head. The isolated head lives on for hours and reacts to external stimuli. And they rubbed some kind of liquid on the dog's nose and the dog is licking the nose. Looks very much alive. Very much alive. If you put your hand over the screen where the head is cut off and attached to the machine, 
Just isolate looks like a dog. Even reacts to light and to sound. The revival of individual organs enabled scientists to proceed to experiment on reviving the whole organism. So they've done this with the dog head. It responds to light, responds to sound, responds to touch, responds to taste. Then they decided, because that worked, let's move on to the whole animal, the whole dog. The first part of the film which took place in the late 1920s, was released in the early 1940s. I think it was like a year before the U.S. entered into the Second World War. So it was like 19, I think they released this in 1941. But it was from, we know for sure, it was from the National Council of American-Soviet Friendship. It was shown courtesy of that, of that, uh, of that group, of that council. And, but it was released, it was, it was held by the Soviet Film Agency. Uh, the device that they used was named an autojector, consisted of two mechanically operated diaphragm pumps with a system of valves. Soviet scientist Sergei Sergeyevich, last name very long, Bruk Honenko, created the apparatus for the artificial circulation with the blood throughout the head of the dog, which again, it responded to taste, essentially taste. It, it was licking its nose when they put that liquid on it touch, sound, and light, also smell, because they put this stuff on the nose and the dog, you know, the snout moved and the dog licked it. So the isolated head hooked up to this machine. It lived, quote unquote, for hours after the, the, uh, the stimuli was introduced. And then they decide to move on to the larger body of the dog to see if they could reanimate that which is what they're doing they're reanimating it they're not really bringing it back to life but especially in the 1920s 30s and 40s i mean this is this is very dark magic if you will the dog is under an anesthetic it doesn't feel pain no interruption of the animal's normal functions has yet occurred the dog reacts to touch its pupils are normal the experiment begins all the blood is drained off through the carotid artery. The dog is dead. Ten minutes have elapsed since the animal died. blood removed from the animal is pumped back into its vessels by the autojector. The artificial blood circulation gradually induces the heart to start beating again. The heart's action begins to be normal. The first sign. The dog breathes more normally and evenly. The animal's condition approaches normal. 
They're pumping the blood back into the animal. And leave the organism of the dog to maintain life with its own resources. Now they claim that the dog came back to life and they show the video of the dog with the scientists. I'm not sure if that part is true, but when you watch the video, they start with the head, they pump this with a pump, they pump this blood back into the dog's head. They 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 keep it artificially stimulated. They keep it artificially alive. It responds to taste, touch, smell, sight. They turn the light on and hearing. Then they move on to the larger body of the dog, a full body, full-size dog. They drain it of blood. It's dead for 10 minutes. They pump it back full of the blood. The heart begins to beat again. Then there's respiratory function. And then the dog is supposedly alive once more. Now, this is what Soviet scientists did in 1928. The early 1940s, this was released by the Soviet film agency. This is disputed by some. Others, they believe that this is something that actually happened. Personally, I'm not sure if it actually happened. I'm not sure if they accomplished what they claim they accomplished. But it is likely that whatever the Soviet scientists were doing, they were certainly on to something because that was back in the 20s, late 20s. So that puts us at almost 100 years ago, almost 100 years ago, 94 years ago. And now we have the New York Times reporting that Yale scientists injected the bodies of dead pigs with a new concoction, a scientific sludge called Organ X, O-R-G-A-N-E-X, and that the animals came back to life. The pigs were dead for an hour, not just 10 minutes in the case of the Soviet experiment. The animals were dead for one hour, no blood circulation, no brain waves, just completely dead. Then they pumped them full of the organ X, jump-started their hearts, and the pigs, in essence, came back to life. The New York Times reported cells in their organs, including the heart, liver, kidneys, and brain, were functioning again, and the animals never got stiff like a typical dead pig. In contrast, the scientists used a machine to pump regular blood through the bodies of other pigs. This was a control group of pigs. They did not receive the organ X, and the results did not revive their organs in the least. The control pigs remained entirely dead, their bodies and organs still disintegrating, according to this article from the Western Journal. This experiment was aimed at extending an organ's life-supporting potential, according to the Times. Quote, the researchers say their goals are to one day increase the supply of human organs for transplant by allowing doctors to obtain viable organs long after death. And they say they hope their technology might also be used to prevent severe damage to hearts after a devastating heart attack or brains after a major stroke. And, of course, they want to use this by extension on humans, meaning they want to transition from animal testing eventually to human testing. I guess that means having a dead body and then trying to bring that dead body back to life. Beyond the ethical and the moral questions of this, I think we should be considering something a little darker. What are the implications of utilizing this technology for the world's ruling class? How similar does this sound to Star Wars? Doesn't it sound similar to Star Wars and the story that 
the emperor tells Anakin. He tells him about the, the dark lord that learns how to bring the dead back to life by manipulating the midichlorians. I don't want this to be totally dark, though, because, yeah, I mean, maybe this could help people that have had heart attacks and strokes. But this level of technological development, which goes back to the 1920s with the Soviets, probably not going to be exclusively used to help heart attack patients and stroke victims. Kind of like those robotic dogs. Remember like 10 years ago, I told you on this show that those robotic dogs are just made for military purposes. They're going to be armed. People told me, no, that's not true. It's not true. It's not true. And now they're putting sniper rifles and machine guns on their backs and they're patrolling military bases and uh, using them for border security and in warfare. So much for that won't happen. That's just a conspiracy theory. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. Please email us at rdgable at yahoo.com. Leave us a message on Apple Podcasts, the little message at the bottom. Let us know what you think of the show. Stay with us. There's more after this. Unnatural selection here on The Secret Teachings. You are listening to The Secret Teachings. To contact the show, to share information and your opinion, or give recommendations, email rdgable at yahoo.com. Visit the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings, or visit the website at www.thesecretteachings.info. This is Linda Godfrey, author of Monsters Among Us, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Broadcasting from somewhere between heaven, hell, and purgatory, it's The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. Release the Kraken! You could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence, David has no evidence. I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. We'll explore a little bit of everything, but don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm a last of a dying breed, a generalist. That's The Secret Teachings, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. So, you love talk radio, then you'll love TalkStreamLive.com. TalkStream Live is always on, 24-7, with the best streaming talk shows. Find your favorite talkers and discover some new ones. It's free, readily available online, or on mobile with any smartphone or tablet. Finding your favorite talk shows all in one place has gotten a whole lot easier. Just go to TalkStreamLive.com. Be sure to download the free apps from Google Play or the iTunes App Store. Do you like The Secret Teachings and Ryan's passionately balanced approach to subjects from food and health to the entertainment industry and the occult? Then check out Ryan's books, available in PDF and softcover with free shipping in the United States. For a deeper look into artificial intelligence, UFO cults, black goo, and packs made with the devil in the music and entertainment industry, have a look at the technological elixir. Or look for Ryan's masterpiece, Occult Arcana, an encyclopedia of occult knowledge spanning from mythology and science to symbols and sigils, from ritual magic to voodoo, and from comparative religion and psychic abilities to paranormal activity. Just visit thesecretteachings.info. Hello, folks. This is Jordan Maxwell 
and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Excellent shows. Keep listening with your host, Ryan Gable. Think about your hero when you're at ground zero and call out to the fallout back to me. Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is the frequency of the secret teachings on Ground Zero Radio. Darth Plagueis, the Dark Lord of the Sith, so powerful and so wise, he could use the Force to influence the midi-chlorians to create life. He had such a knowledge of the dark side, he could even keep the ones he cared about from dying. He could actually save people from death. The dark side of the Force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. What happened to him? He became so powerful. The only thing he was afraid of was losing his power, which eventually, of course, he did. Unfortunately, he taught his apprentice everything he knew. Then his apprentice killed him in his sleep. Ironic. Could save others from death, but not himself. Is it possible to learn this power? Not from a Jedi. Researchers at Yale used a new technology to reanimate some of the organs of pigs that had just died. The experimental process suggests there could be some cellular functions after death and that they might be reversible. The possibilities of this could be huge. It could help people survive longer after cardiac arrest or a stroke, or it could revolutionize organ transplants. On the other hand, isn't this how like every zombie movie starts? A mind-blowing discovery and unintended consequences? What are we actually dealing with? And what should we do with it? We are dealing with an unnatural state of selection. I'm Ryan Gable, your host, and this is The Secret Teachings Radio. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, this afternoon, tonight, whenever and wherever you are listening. The second hour starts right now, segment number three. If you'd like to contact the show, rdgable at yahoo.com is the email. Please let us know what you think of the broadcast. Let us know what you think of the show on Apple Podcasts as well, at the bottom of the page, you scroll down through the shows, you can leave us a review. It lets other people know what you think of the show as well. And of course, some people go on there and leave us bad reviews intentionally because they don't like something we talk about and have a hard time separating political ideology from open conversations. Otherwise, contact us through the email and on social media at facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings and on Twitter at TST underscore underscore radio. Really appreciate when you guys reach out to me and let us know what you think of the show. Tonight, the unnatural selection starts with a group of Yale scientists who have taken pigs 
and brought them back to life, essentially. Now, there's no consciousness in these pigs that they brought back to life, but they were able to reanimate their entire bodies. Cells in their organs, heart, liver, kidneys, and brain began functioning again. The animal never got stiff. The blood pumped through the veins. In the other group of pigs, the control group, the pigs were simply reanimated through basically a blood transfusion, but they never had any cellular activity otherwise. Now, what caused the cellular activity was something that I've heard referred to as sludge. Western Journal and a number of other news publications called it sludge. The scientists call it organ X. Organ X. It is a chemical concoction that gets put into the body. And once it is in the body, it reanimates the body. It's interesting. There's a movie called Overlord. I'm sure some of you have seen this. It came back, uh, came out back in 2018. I actually watched it uh, one of the last times I was on a plane. I think I was flying to, I think I actually was flying to a conference. I think I went to Contact in the Desert. I can't remember. Can't remember if that was the, that's where I was flying, but I was flying somewhere and I watched it on the plane ride back home. And um, basically, it's a movie. It's uh, about uh, it's like I think it's the day before D Day. American paratroopers, they get dropped behind enemy lines and they their goal is to enter into this fortified church to destroy a radio transmitter. And they, when they get to this, this church, uh, they realize that there's more than just a radio transmitter there. And as they work their way into the facility controlled by, you know, quote, evil Nazis, because every, every, everybody's a Nazi, nobody's a communist, Marxist, left-wing, jackbooted Gestapo, Red Guard, everybody's a Nazi. But they make their way into this uh, facility and they find that the radio transmitter is really the, the last, you know, the last uh, of their concerns, the least of their concerns when they find out what's in the lab. Basically, it's an experiment that uh, is using this substance found in the ground. It's basically black goo to reanimate the dead, to bring people back to life, but to give immense powers they create like a serum to create like a super soldier so it has the power to bring people back to life it has the power to make you immensely uh strong like a a a super soldier and it all it it all has to do with this black goo sludge found in the ground that's interesting because scientific sludge is precisely what the scientists were injecting into these pigs And when they injected it into the pigs, the pigs had cellular movement. Their heart, liver, kidneys, and brain began to function again. And the scientists say as a result of this, they want to apply it to humans as well so that humans can get the benefits of extensions of of heart and even brain functionality after they've had a heart attack, a cardiac event, or a stroke. So it's all for the good. It's all for the good. They're making these types of discoveries. They're investigating these types of things to hopefully help humans survive heart attacks and strokes. 
But of course, the question is, what really motivates this research? And even if it's motivated by non-malicious intentions, what could be the result of normalizing this type of research? The whole discussion is, is fraught with ethical questions, and those questions, of course, need to be asked, answered, debated, etc., before we can really culturally accept that bringing humans back from the dead, necromancy, is something that we want to do or we want to at least try to do. Dr. Nita Farahaney, a Duke Law professor, called the drug unbelievable and mind-blowing, pointing out that we have a concept of death and its final meaning, but this new drug could upend that meaning and redefine what death is. Dr. Nita said, we presume death is a thing. It is a state of being. Are there forms of death that are reversible? Asking that question. It's an honest question. But if we're redefining death, then we also have to redefine life. And if we have an idea that this type of technology is going to be something that everybody is going to have access to, I think we're sorely mistaken. Nobody is pumping organ X into a homeless person who dies on the street to bring them back to life. Nobody is pumping organ X into your veins and arteries when you die. However, there are some people who have lots of wealth, lots of power, and cult followers who might have this type of thing injected into their bodies to stay artificially preserved and alive, even if they're not really alive. As bad of a movie as it was, Star Wars final in the new trilogy, uh, what was it, The Rise of Skywalker? They show that Emperor Palpatine had come back from the dead. Horrible movie, just horrific movie. But the scene where they're talking about the black or the dark magic and cloning applies to what we're discussing tonight. As does the discussion in the, the second newest trilogy, the one that came out in the early 2000s, where Palpatine is talking to Anakin and telling him about the power that the Sith have to bring people back from the dead or to save people from death by manipulating the midichlorians in those bodies. Now, the organ X substance itself, it might not be black goo taken from an underground chapel like in the movie Overlord. It is a nerve blocker uh, or partially a nerve blocker that is meant to stop the firing of neurons in the brain. The researchers said the revived pigs still had muscle movement. Some had head jerking. And they can tamper, they say, with the ingredients in this thing so that it will work in different ways. So these pigs were dead for an hour and they were brought back to life. The Soviets did something similar back in the 1920s. In 1928, Soviet scientists were able to connect a pump to a dog's head that was severed and essentially bring the head back to life. And when they did this, 
the dog reacted to smell, taste, touch, sight, and hearing. They reanimated the dog's head to respond to the five senses, which, by most definitions, would be, to some degree, considered alive. Once the scientists were confident that the head was alive and, and, and moving and that their experiment had worked, they moved on to a full-sized dog, no decapitation. They drained the blood out of the dog, and after the blood was drained out of the dog, they waited 10 minutes with a timer, not an hour, 10 minutes, and then they pumped the blood back into the dog, the heart began beating, there was respiratory function, and I don't know if the dog came back to life because they, they show that the dog is running around after that could just be propaganda. The whole thing could be propaganda. But if scientists today were able to do this with complex drugs and um, it might not necessarily be, you know, a, a, a living pig that Yale scientists brought back to life could just be exactly what the Soviet scientists might have accomplished, and that is just reanimation and triggering of the five-sense response. If we did it today with complex drugs, but it's basically the same concept in its complexity, it's likely that the Soviets could have done this back in the 20s. And that video was released in 1941. It was reportedly from the Soviet film agency. You can watch the video. I played the clip for you earlier. It was released in 1941. First part of the film took place in 1928. The device they hooked up to the dog called an auto-jector. Two mechanically operated diaphragm pumps with a system of valves. And this is how they were able to reanimate the corpse or the head of the dog. I'm going to go ahead and play that for you again. Really fascinating. If you've ever seen the video, it's kind of eerie, but it's, it's really fascinating nonetheless. Here is the plan of the experiment. You see the dog's head with the circulatory system inside with the pumps. The arterial pump takes arterial blood from the reservoir to the head. Here's the, the head. The pump drains off the venous blood. The blood is arterialized in the They're reservoir. They're poking its eyes. Where there is a steady flow of oxygen. Its nose. The artificial blood circulation ensures the metabolism necessary for the life of the head. The isolated head I believe they rub a uh, citric acid to external stimuli on the nose and the mouth and dog licks it smells it no consciousness though and that's what we're going to talk about here in a moment once this video is played I turn a light on the dog isolated head even reacts to light and to sound. I slam a hammer onto a table. Very unnatural. The revival of individual organs enabled scientists to proceed to experiment on reviving the whole organism. Now they've moved on to the, the whole dog. An anesthetic. It doesn't feel pain. No interruption of the animal's normal functions has yet occurred. The dog reacts to touch 
Its pupils are normal. The experiment begins. All the blood is drained out through the carotid artery. They show the dog is dead, no respiration, no heartbeat. Ten minutes have elapsed since the animal died. They put the dog to sleep, drain the blood, no respiration, no heartbeat. Ten minutes later, they turn the pump back on to put the blood back in the dog. The blood removed from the animal is pumped back into its vessels by the autoejector. The artificial blood circulation gradually induces the heart to start beating again. So they produce a heartbeat. The heart's action begins to be normal. It normalizes, then respiration begins. First sign. And the dog begins to come back to life just like the head in the first experiment. The dog breathes more normally and evenly. Respiration and normalizes. Is normal. We can now disconnect the autoejector and leave the organism of the dog to maintain life with its own resources. Well, then it's happy and the dog's running around and playing. I don't know if the dog actually came back to life. They're showing the dog back to life with the personality, with the emotions. Maybe that happened, maybe it didn't. But following the same basic principle, the same basic line of thought, scientists at Yale have done something very similar. Now, they didn't cut the heads off of dogs or pigs. They used dead pigs that had been dead an hour. They had a control group where they pumped blood through them, and they had another group, the main group, that they used something called organ X to reanimate the cells in the organs of the heart, the liver, the kidneys, the brain, etc. So they began functioning again. And the animals never got stiff like a dead pig did in the control group. Now, this is the type of thing that we've, we've seen done throughout human history. The last hundred years, Soviets did it. Today, we've got a report that scientists at Yale did it. But th these are not the first times this has happened. Most people would know about the most recent story. Most people know or have at least heard of the severed head. Um, my, my, maybe even my fiance, she's not a big history buff, but she's even heard about you know the dog head that was reanimated. But a lot of things have happened between those times, for example, in 2019, so this is three years ago, National Geographic, also Yale University, scientists restored cellular function in 32 pig brains. They had been dead for hours, according to the National Geographic. Announced in the journal Nature, researchers at the Yale University School of Medicine devised a system to a dialysis machine called BrainX that restores circulation and oxygen flow to a dead brain. Now, this is interesting because this happened three years ago, but it's the same Yale University. And just like Organ X, they used something called Brain X, which is a machine that restores circulation and oxygen flow to the dead brain. Sounds very similar to what those Soviet scientists did back in the 1920s. We could assume also in the 30s and 40s, perhaps even beyond that. Organ X, Brain X. Scientists at Yale have demonstrated 
over the last three years that a pig's brain can be brought back to life and that a body can be brought back to life. Now, what the Soviets did was they first animated the head. Once it was animated and it responded to the five senses, they moved on to the whole body. The whole body was drained of blood. Then the blood was recirculated. The heart began beating. Then the circulation uh, 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 normalized. And then the respiratory function began. And then it normalized. And the dog was supposedly alive again. What Yale scientists did is very similar. They started in 2000. Well, they probably started in 2017, 18. They published in 2019. 32 pig brains brought back from the dead hours after death, according to this journal entry in Nature from the Yale scientists. They used a machine called BrainX to restore circulation and oxygen flow to the dead brain. So this is exactly what the Soviets did with the dog head. little different technology, but very, very, very similar. So they bring back the dog head. Yale scientists bring back the dead brains of pigs. Then the Soviet scientists move on to the dog's body. The Yale scientists move on to the pig body. They are able to animate it with organ X and a system that pumps the blood back through the body, exactly what the Soviet scientists did in the 1920s. Communists started with the head and then the body. Yale scientists started with the brains and then the pig body. Same exact thing. That's National Geographic. Now, when we think of bringing the dead back to life, we probably think of zombies. I mean, that's the cultural norm now. We think of zombies. Some people might think of various forms of parasites and funguses and things like that, which have an effect on certain insects. Uh, In fact, there's a really popular video game called The Last of Us, which is basically about these, well, it's like a plant uh, virus, a fungus, uh, something that takes over the heads. Uh, It's the cordyceps fungus. It takes over the heads, and it controls the bodies of uh, the people creating what amount to, uh, well, they're basically zombies. This is a story from two years ago, August 3rd, so almost exactly two years ago. Zombie cicadas under the influence of a mind-controlling fungus This is reported out of West Virginia, and the study was published by PLOS Pathogens. It says cicadas are brutally infected by a parasitic fungus that controls their mind and forces them to infect other insects. These insects, dubbed zombie cicadas, are under the influence of massospora, a psychedelic fungus which contains chemicals such as those found in hallucinogenic mushrooms. After infecting its host, the fungus results in, quote, a disturbingly display or a disturbing display of B-horror movie proportions, end quote, according to West Virginia University in a press release. First, massosporospores eat away at the cicada's genitals, butt, and abdomen. They are then replaced with fungal spores, used to transmit the fungus to other cicadas. From there, this new fungal uh, abdomen will slowly wear away like an eraser on a pencil, according to study co-author Brian Lovett in the release of the study. The study highlights recent findings, including how infection leads to hypersexual behavior. 
even though infected cicadas lose their ability to mate when their backsides become fungal plugs, they will still attempt to mate to sexually transmit the fungus to healthy cicadas. And I found this really interesting. The parasitic fungus even manipulates male cicadas into flicking their wings to imitate the female's mating invitation so they can also infect unsuspecting male cicadas to rapidly transmit the disease. While researchers believe sexual transmission of the fungus is the easiest way for massospora to spread, cicadas can also come into contact with the pathogen in other ways. Now, although I'm not a proponent of germ theory, funguses, bacteria, and things like this can certainly affect the body. And it's interesting because these cicadas, the fungus takes over the body. It's so intelligent, it knows to imitate, for males, imitate female mating habits to attract males to the female, which is just a male taken over by this fungus, so that it can infect other males, who then transmit it to, well, other males and other females. Uh, The zombie cicada, the cicada itself controlled by this massospora psychedelic fungus, shows that the psychedelic fungus is almost, in some capacity, conscious and alive itself. Very complex, very sophisticated form of natural uh, camouflage and using its its essence to to manipulate the body of a of a of a of a host to attract others to infect them. That seems very sophisticated, and that this is just a simple fungus, which is not so simple because of what it does to those cicadas' bodies. Then, of course, probably the most famous are the zombie ants, the parasitic fungus that turns ants into zombies. One of these funguses is called Ophiocordyceps unilateralis, the zombie ant fungus. We're going to talk about that when we come back from break. The cordyceps is the name of the fungus bacteria thing in, I think it's just a, it's a plant fungus uh, in the video game The Last of Us. It's a very good video game if you never played it. I'm not a big video game fan anymore, but I, I did play that when it first came out. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. There's going to be more after this, so don't go anywhere. Final segment coming up. rdgable at yahoo.com if you'd like to contact us. TheSecretTeachings.info is the website. My new book is coming out very, very soon. There's a page on the website already for it. You can check that out. Email us if you have any questions. rdgable at yahoo.com. Please leave us a review on the Apple Podcast Player. Share the show. Let your friends know about the show if you enjoy this. We've been around for over 10 years. I know radio and podcasting is really oversaturated now. I try to bring you something unique. I try to bring you a different perspective and a different angle. Monday through Friday, five nights a week, 10 p.m. to midnight Pacific. We are here, Ground Zero dot radio after Clyde Lewis and Ground Zero. Stay with us. There's more after this. Thank you so much for tuning in. Broadcasting from somewhere between heaven, hell, and purgatory. It's The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. Release the Kraken! You're listening to The Secret Teachings. For more information on the show or to contact Ryan, visit thesecretteachings.info or email ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com. Hey, this is John Peasy at johnpeasy.com, and I'm here with Ryan Gable from The Secret Teachings. 
It's The Secret Teachings, one of the homes of the original Super Bowl analysis, airing exclusively five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. If you're interested in all things that include the occult, from witchcraft to voodoo, and from mythology to alchemy, then why not check out the book Occult Arcana, complete with hundreds of beautiful images. Maybe you want to look at technology, black goo, UFOs, and demonic pacts made in the entertainment industry. Check out the technological elixir, black goo, transhumanism, and invoking AI. Or if that's not enough and you want a practical look at food, lifestyles, and ingredients, even those in your pet food, with free solutions to better health, then check out Food Philosophy. All three of these books are available in softcover or PDF at www.thesecretteachings.info That's where you can read reviews, see pictures, and even order yours today. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in paranormal talk entertainment, including the network you're listening to right now. The Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS app store. You could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence. David has no evidence. I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. We'll explore a little bit of everything, but don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm the last of a dying breed, a generalist. That's The Secret Teachings, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. This is Kev Baker of The Kev Baker Show, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Broadcasting from somewhere between the normal and abnormal. A collection of question marks. No reason, no explanation. Just a prolonged nightmare in which fear, loneliness, and the unexplainable walk hand in hand through the shadows. It's The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. Darth Plagueis the dark lord of the Sith, so powerful and so wise, he could use the force to influence the midi-chlorians to create life. He had such a knowledge of the dark side, he could even keep the ones he cared about from dying. He could actually save people from death. The dark side of the Force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. What happened to him? He became so powerful. The only thing he was afraid of was losing his power, which eventually, of course, he did. Unfortunately, he taught his apprentice everything he knew. Then his apprentice killed him in his sleep. Ironic. He could save others from death, but 
but not himself. Is it possible to learn this power? Not from a Jedi. Researchers at Yale used a new technology to reanimate some of the organs of pigs that had just died. The experimental process suggests there could be some cellular functions after death and that they might be reversible. The possibilities of this could be huge. It could help people survive longer after cardiac arrest or a stroke, or it could revolutionize organ transplants. On the other hand, isn't this how, like, every zombie movie starts? A mind-blowing discovery and unintended consequences? What are we actually dealing with? And what should we do with it? I'm Ryan Gable, your host. And this is The Secret Teachings Radio. Back in 1928, Soviet scientists reanimated a dog's head, which was severed from the body. There's a video of it, if you're interested in watching it, released at the eve of the United States, a couple months before the United States entering into World War II. And those Soviet scientists moved from the severed dog head to a full-sized adult dog. They took that dog and put it to sleep, drained the blood out of its body, and then pumped the blood back into the body. The heart rate began, normalized. Soon after, respiration began, normalized. And they claimed that the dog came back to life. It was dead for 10 minutes before being brought back to life. Now, the dog head was animate, but we could probably easily argue that the head wasn't alive. The body of the dog that was brought back to life animate but we don't know for sure if that dog was the same dog they show us in the video running around after the experiment scientists at Yale University in the last couple of years have done something very similar in 2019 it was reported that they took the brains of pigs and they subjected them to a machine like dialysis machine which is pretty much what those Soviet scientists used. The Yale scientists called their machine Brain X, B-R-A-I-N-E-X, Brain X, and it restored circulation and oxygen flow to the dead brain. Now, these were brains that had been dead for several hours. They claimed that they were able to bring the brains back to life. Now, it's not a living brain, but nevertheless, the brain became functional again. Just like the head of the dog that the Soviet scientists experimented on back in the late 1920s. Then, as the Soviet scientists moved on to the full dog body, nothing decapitated, the Yale scientists moved on to dead pigs. Now, they had a control group. And then they had their experimental group, which they injected with something named similarly after Brain X called Organ X, O-R-G-A-N-E-X, which basically brought the cells and the organs back to life in the body 
This did not happen in the control group that did not get the organ X. So they believe that this chemical concoction, which can also be altered, has the ability to bring an animal and a human back to life. They say they want to use this research to help extend the life of human organs for transplant, help people who have had cardiac events, help people who had had strokes. Now, the Soviets weren't doing this research for that reason. I find it interesting that the scientists at Yale have done almost a copycat exercise of what the communists were doing in the late 1920s. They literally start with the brain, the head. Once that works, they move on to the body. They're using chemicals. They're using concoctions or what basically is a sludge that they inject into the body. I thought when I read that of the movie Overlord, which came out in 2018, and that movie was about Nazis because these movies are never about communists that killed tens of millions of more people. This movie is about Nazis, though, in, a, in an occupied village. I think they were in France. And these allied soldiers go in to the village. You're supposed to take out a radio transmitter at the top of this church or this chapel. And they make their way into the facility and they find an underground laboratory. And they're basically, they basically find themselves in the presence of a, of a sinister experiment where dead bodies, dead people are brought back to life like zombies. And when they're brought back to life, this serum that was created by these scientists, it basically makes you more aggressive. So you bring the body a form of life, which isn't really its original consciousness. You reanimate the body. And then it becomes very aggressive, which is basically, it's basically zombies. So... They have these, these zombie-like things, and you find out that they derive the serum from some underground sludge that was found under the church, under the, under the structure of, the, of the, uh, the facility there where the laboratory was, and there's like a, this little circular uh, hole in the ground, and then there's this black sludge there. It's black oil, black goo which is a, an artificial, animating, possessive thing, which you see in countless movies, TV shows, comic books, music videos, commercials, etc. Kind of like the ink of an octopus, you know, something that you see also in virtually every movie, TV show, comic book, short story, long story, science fiction, nonfiction. I mean, you see it absolutely everywhere, from uh, Lovecraft to the new meta commercial where the octopus is... is center stage or the squid is center stage and they use octopus or squid very cthulhu like you know it's the ink of the pen the ink of the pen the writing the bringing things to life through magical rituals and drawings and incantations and sigils and talismans etc so in this movie this black goo is used to create a serum that brings the dead back to life and they become very vicious very angry very hard to kill so it's a zombie movie I actually liked it. I thought it was a... I usually don't like movies like that, but I actually liked it. I thought it was a, was a good movie, especially if you like this kind, of, this kind of subject matter. Now, that was a Hollywood movie, though. But the Soviets, the communists, actually did that in the late 1920s. Something similar to that. They didn't use black goo, but they brought, with very simple technology, just a pump 
They brought a dead dog's severed head to the point of reanimation, and they brought a full-size, non-decapitated dog essentially back to life. Scientists at Yale have done the same thing. They brought pig brains back to life, in essence, a form of life, and then they moved on to the pig bodies. Now, that was a story out of National Geographic, if you'd like to look this up, pig brains partially revived hours after death, what it means for people. National Geographic. And that was published April 17th. There's also a, a journal entry in Nature from the Yale University School of Medicine. And if you type in Brain X, Brain EX, Nature, pig brains, you should be able to pull up the Nature article. Then this is from the New York Times, Western Journal. These are the two publications that popped up first. So if you don't trust one or the other, I don't really care. It doesn't really matter. There's literally dozens of articles on this. August 4th. So this was Thursday. And then uh, the another article came out Friday about this. I think earlier I said it came out Friday. I mean, it came out, it came out on the 4th. Uh, but but there was a, there was another article published Friday about this. New York Times, Western Journal, and others. Hours dead pig brought into state of undeath after being pumped full of scientific sludge. Now they want to use it on humans. You know, it's kind of a dramatic headline, but that's precisely what they are attempting to do. They want to use this on humans. Just imagine that humans are going to be pumped full of a of a of a scientific elixir created by scientists to bring the dead back to life. It's, it's the movie Overlord, basically. Where did they, what are they making this, this, or, or this organ X out of, too, by the way? It sounds like Chemical X from the Powerpuff Girls in that old cartoon. Sugar, spice, and everything nice. These were the ingredients chosen to create the perfect little girl. But Professor Plutonium accidentally added an extra ingredient, Chemical X. And thus, the Powerpuff Girls were born. Really, am I aging or dating myself, or am I just showing how much of a nerd I am that I re- I remember that whole introduction to the <laughs> to the Powerpuff Girls? But it's like Chemical X, it's like Agent X, it's I mean that just has like a weird science fictiony name to it, right? Brain X, Organ X, inject them with Organ X, or it just sounds like some cheap thing you can buy on like a, a two a.m. infomercial. You know, order Organ X, dial in the next two minutes, we'll add Brain X. You know, that kind of a thing. But this is very serious. They've, they've brought a pig brain essentially back to life, although the study co-author Ned-Ed Sestan, a neuroscientist at Yale University, says clinically defined, this is not a living brain. So it's not really a living brain, but it's, it's similar. It's not really a, a living dog head either in 1928, but it's similar. They've reanimated it. But the dog that was brought back to life it's a completely full dog, no decapitation, and the pigs that were brought back to life, they weren't running around, but they were essentially brought back to life. They just weren't consciously animated. I question whether the Soviets actually were able to bring the dog fully back to life, but they were able to animate it in these ways. I mean, they're just basically tampering with the nervous system is all that they're doing, but also pumping the blood through the body with a machine. You can jumpstart the heart and the respiratory process. You get something very similar. Now, this is also something that we find in nature, too, because we think of these things we might think of, you know, I think of Overlord, the movie, I think of zombies, which, of course, is where most people's brains go. But this is a thing that exists in nature, not with chemical concoctions, chemical X, not with uh, dialysis like blood transfusion devices, 
but with things like funguses. For example, West Virginia has had, according to PLOS Pathogens and a press release from West Virginia University, which is Morgantown, where I grew up uh, most of my high school years, were in Morgantown, West Virginia. I never saw any of these bugs, but the zombie cicadas, they're just like normal cicadas that you have, but they are infected, CNN actually says in this article, brutally infected, by a parasitic fungus that controls their mind and forces them to infect other insects. These are zombie cicadas. They're under the influence of a psychedelic fungus called massospora. Basically, it contains chemicals such as those found in hallucinogenic mushrooms. That's according to the PLOS pathogens, P-L-O-S pathogens study. After infecting its host, the fungus results in a disturbing display of B-horror movie proportions, according to West Virginia University. What happens is the massospora spores eat away at the cicada's genitals, butt, and abdomen. They are then replaced with fungal spores used to transmit the fungus to other cicadas. From there, the new fungus, this fungal abdomen, will slowly wear away like an eraser on a pencil. And the study highlights these recent findings, uh, findings including how infection leads to hypersexual behavior. And they claim that's because the cicadas or the zombie cicadas, the fungus, wants to replicate. So the males even attract other females to spread the disease or to spread the fungus. Yes, you can transmit fungus, bacteria, things like this. But, you know, environment, I think, has a lot more to do with it than simple transmission of a, of a particle. Uh, and fungus is obviously different than a virus. I mean, mold, bacteria, things like this are different than viruses. Uh but in, ter- in terms of what these, these funguses can do, it basically brings a cicada uh, back to life. I mean, it's, it's infecting a, a live cicada, and then it basically zombifies it. That's, that's pretty much what it does. And it encourages hypersexual behavior. Think about this. It encourages hypersexual behavior, and it attracts males to males, but they think they're being attracted to a female so that this disease can be spread. Does that sound kind of similar to what is being culturally advocated for in the United States? Because not around the rest of the world. The rest of the world, including China, won't tolerate that kind of thing. But does that kind of sound like something happening here in the United States? I mean, we know that things like um, certain chemicals will affect sexuality and turn amphibians into their opposite sex. We know that hormone drugs and puberty blockers prevent the brain from fully developing. So the person just grows with a brain that is stunted at 15, 16 years old or whatever the age is. If it's not a fungus, I'm not saying that these things are funguses. I'm saying that they behave like parasites. They behave, the the ideology of those things behave like parasites. And it turns people essentially into drones, into, into zombies. According to the Atlantic, according to National Geographic, I'm sure you know about the parasitic fungus that turns ants into zombies, the Ophiocordyceps unilateralis, the zombie ant fungus. Fungus infects a carpenter ant, for example, growing through the insect's body, draining it of nutrients, and hijacking its mind. Well, there's a metaphor for a lot of things happening. Over the course of a week, it compels the ant to leave the safety of its nest and ascend a nearby plant stem. 
It stops the ant at a height of about 25 centimeters, a zone with precisely the right temperature and humidity for the fungus to grow. Forces the ant to permanently lock its mandibles around a leaf. Eventually, it sends a long stalk through the ant's head, growing into a bulbous capsule full of spores. And because the ant typically climbs a leaf that overhangs its colony, uh, colony's foraging trails, the fungal spores rain down onto its sisters below, zombifying them in turn. It's kind of a terrifying thing. But this is, this is kind of the idea that was used for the video game The Last of Us because this fungal stuff grows around the heads and the spores blow out and it spreads this, this fungal um, contagion, if you will. But think about that. That's just the, the complexity of that for something like fungus that we just think is, it's just there. It's not aware or conscious. But there's, um, there's a program that runs for the fungus and the fungus, it attaches to an ant it grows throughout the body it forces the ant to climb right above the colony and then basically the fungus grows through and punctures the head of the ant and then it explodes and spores rain down on the ants below it's really like a very disturbing thing to think about that you can watch uh, videos of this this has actually been videoed and documented we've known this for known this for a long time that this kind of thing is is in nature Here's National Geographic, another one. How a parasitic fungus turns ants into zombies. Same exact fungus, Ophiocordyceps unilateralis. Self-propagation and dispersal. Researchers think the fungus found in tropical forests infects a foraging ant through spores that attach and penetrate the exoskeleton and slowly takes over its behavior. As the infection advances, the enthralled ant is compelled to leave its nest for a more humid microclimate that's favorable to the fungus's growth. The ant is compelled to descend to a vantage point about 10 inches off the ground, sink its jaws into a leaf vein on the north side of a plant, and wait for death. Meanwhile, the fungus feeds on its victim's innards until it's ready for the final stage. And this is like some John Carpenter stuff. Several days after the ant has died, the fungus sends a fruiting body out through the base of the ant's head, turning its shriveled corpse into a launch pad from which it can jettison its spores and infect new ants. So it gets into the body, it drains the body of nutrients, takes over the brain, uses the ant. Like we see that we saw that spider recently where scientists can stimulate the the dead spider and turn it into like a grappling hook or like a claw that picks things up. The fungus does the same thing to the ant. And positioning itself right over the ant colony, the ant dies, the fungus grows, blows through the head and then explodes, the spores go all over the other ants. And you've got zombified ants. I think the interesting thing about zombies and, and, and things like this is that, you know, we watch movies. And, and here's the, it's not just zombies. Like when we watch movies and TV shows and things like that, this is where we get our ideas. We, vi- we can visualize from what is portrayed. It's where we get our ideas for a lot of things. We get our ideas about slavery. We get our ideas about, you know, what happened in history, uh, in war. Like we, we, we think that, you know, slavery is, is one specific thing in American history, that the Holocaust is one specific thing that affected Jews. We think that Hitler was the most evil man in history, but that's because that's all that we see. You know, nobody's making a movie about Tom LaFon or Tommy LaFon, the richest free black man in the South who owned, uh, it was like half a million in modern day money. I think it was half a million dollars in property. And nobody's making a movie about that. Nobody's making a movie about, there was a movie called Mr. Jones, which was actually an expose of, of, of communist atrocities in Russia and Ukraine. 
the Holodomor, the starvation of close to 10 million Ukrainians. You know, but you don't just don't see a lot of things like that. So the point is, those movies really influence our, our views on history and, and what what's going on in the world. And it doesn't even have to be intentional. That's just we visualize it. That's what we think. When we, when we go back and we think of, of history, we think of what we see in movies and what we can visualize. And same thing with zombies. Like you play, I played The Last of Us when I was, when I was younger, a little younger. Um, that was always my favorite zombie game. I didn't really like zombie games. Resident Evil was way too scary for me to play, but I liked The, La- uh, the, well, I liked the Last of Us too, but I liked the, uh, the Left for Dead. That was when I was in high school. And then I played The Last of Us uh, when that came out, and um, it's really the, the only two major zombie games I've played, but I, I liked those two games. They were, I, I thought they were both pretty good. But from video games and from TV shows like The Walking Dead and from movies, you get this, um, you get this idea of what a zombie is. And it, it's obviously not, you know, what you're going to see. It's not what you're going to see in, in real life, you know, when we're talking about, we're talking about real zombies. Uh, there's, a, there's a movie that came out back in the 80s, a really good movie called, I think it was Wes Craven directed it. It was called The Serpent and the Rainbow. And it was basically um, a voodoo drug, a voodoo drug that was used in religious rituals to turn people into living zombies. If you haven't seen that, it's a it's a pretty good movie. Uh, and I think it was I think it was in Haiti. So it deals in voodoo and zombies and things like that. I, I thought it was a good movie. Uh, 1988, it came out. So you see th- things like that. You see movies like that. And we think that that's what a zombie is. But. In all actuality, a zombie, I mean, a zombie doesn't really have consciousness, right? So if you're able to bring the dog's head or the full dog body, non-decapitated dog body, or the pig brain or the pig itself back to life, we have to define how we, how, how do we define life? How do we describe life? If it is just animation, then, I mean, everything's alive. Plants are animated, trees are animated. Do we really need to define life? Do we need to define death? I mean, if we can bring things back to life and reanimate them and bring the five senses to life, then, I mean, is, is there such a thing as death? But where does the consciousness, where does spirit and soul fit into that? And I think the interesting thing is, although these Yale scientists did not claim four or five years ago that the pig brains they brought back to life were alive. They actually said that they, they said clinically defined, this is not a living brain, quote unquote. But the pigs they brought back to life recently, this is a story from August 4th, a little bit different because the cells started to, to, to um, activate the heart, liver, kidneys, and brain began functioning again. They essentially brought this thing back to life, but is there consciousness there? Now, I think some people don't really care because, well, it's either cool or it's like, hey, this is great for science. But if you think about it, if you're reanimating corpses, if you're performing acts, it's not even necromancy because necromancy, you, you, you at least re, you re, reanimate the corpse, but you're supposed to you know, be able to draw down the spirit of that person. This is even blacker than necromancy, not in all necromancy, but in, in most necromancy, you're bringing this, you're at least trying to bring the spirit back into the body. And this is something where we're not trying to do that. We're not even considering that. We're just, let's bring the physical body back to life, like weekend at Bernie's, but necromancy style. Weekend with a necromancer. It's like Overlord. It's like um, the, uh, the serpent and the rainbow. They use like a drug or something uh, to do this. 
which is what the scientists at Yale have used. So we can use drugs or there's natural funguses in nature that do this to ants and cicadas. You know, the video game The Last of Us is, uh, is kind of formed after this idea of the zombie ants. So these kinds of things exist in nature and scientists can also essentially create them. But the difference is the ants that are infected with this fungus, they're, they're actually, they, they die and then the spores come out of them like alien and they infect the other ants. What scientists are creating in the lab is, is very dark science. It's unnatural selection. It's not real. It's synthetic. Just like when we splice together the genes of insects and animals, animals and insects, humans and animals, humans and insects, insects and humans, animals and, and humans. We create hybrids and chimeras. These aren't natural things. And the whole line of thinking that, well, God created an imperfect world, so I'll create a better world. Well, if you're created by God and acknowledge God by that extension, then if God is imperfect, you certainly are far less perfect than the imperfect God, and you're not going to be able to create create a more perfect world. You're going to create a more messed up, more distorted, more grotesque world. And this is not science fiction. This is science fact. This is reality. To me, it feels much more like something very unnatural. That's why I called the show tonight Unnatural Selection, because it, it's very unnatural. We're basically performing acts of black magic, and we're performing acts of necromancy, but calling it science, and once again dismissing the soul-spirit complex of the body as being irrelevant to being able to physically force the body to stay alive or to bring it back from the brink of death or to bring it back from death entirely by reanimating artificially its senses, its cellular function, the organs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That is the unnatural selection. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. If you enjoy this show, if you'd like to read the books that I've written, Occult Arcana, Food Philosophy, and the Technological Elixir, please subscribe to our website. You'll get those books for free digitally. If you want to read the books in physical form, you can grab a copy of them on the website. It's www.thesecretteachings.info. You'll find the book pages, including the page for my new book, Liberty Shrugged. You'll also be able to listen to the show, even if you're not a subscriber, but you will have to listen to the monetized ads. When you subscribe, you get rid of those advertisements. You can look up the show on podcast radio players everywhere. It'll have you know the, the stream there. You can listen and download. Again, it'll have those ads. When you subscribe, you'll get an RSS feed that has you know no ads in it, so it'll you can link that right to your podcast player. Check us out at www.thesecretteachings.info. We've been around for over 10 years, The Secret Teachings. I know radio and podcasts really oversaturated now. Thank you so much for sticking with us and listening to what we have to say Monday through Friday, five nights a week, 10 p.m. to midnight Pacific, right after Ground Zero and Clyde Lewis. As always, stay safe, stay informed, stay healthy. And we will talk to you on the next broadcast. Anything I said tonight, if you want to see the dog video, you want links to these articles, shoot me an email. I'll put them in the email and I'll send them back to you. rdgable at yahoo.com. Check out our affiliate sponsors on the website as well. Thesecretteachings.info. We'll talk to you tomorrow night.
Want to hear more of the Secret Teachings radio show? Search for the show on any radio or podcast player or find links and a free archive at thesecretteachings.info. If you want to get rid of those annoying ads and get extra perks like access to the montage archive, digital copies of Ryan's books, and early access to the show, then subscribe to the full show archive at thesecretteachings.info. Visit the website and click the button that says subscribe. You can do so monthly, yearly, or through a one-time donation. Your support always keeps the secret teachings on the air.